Ladies and gentlemen, this is The Forward Curve. Hello and welcome to The Forward Curve, the weekly podcast covering the commodity markets and the global economy. Brought to you by Gold Street Advisors, the independent research and advisory firm. In today's episode, we will focus on the current state of the supply side of the commodity markets. I'm Christian Klavodecher, and joining me will be our chief analyst, Robin Barr. So, Robin, take it away. Thanks, Christian. So, let's begin uh, this week's podcast with a question. What do wheat, corn, soybeans, and copper have in common? An obvious answer is that they're all commodities. So that's that's, that's the easy, easy answer. But let's delve uh, a little bit deeper. I think what may have escaped uh, many people is that they are all at 10-year highs. So decade highs for, for those four commodities. Right. So I'm noticing a recurring theme here, my friend, episode after episode. Well noted. Um yeah, you know, what can we say about the markets? I think investors on balance remain bullish about the prospects for global recovery, as can be seen from the price of copper nearing record highs, so close to uh, the $10,200 per tonne high that we had in early 2011. But it's not just industrial commodities that are strong. The price of agricultural commodities like wheat, corn and soy beans have been absolutely soaring lately. And it's not just about demand that has roared back from pandemic levels and pent up consumers merely going about a shopping spree. There are a number of factors driving the mood uh, in agricultural commodities, though one contributor is simply the lack of a robust supply response so far. To all the demand, agricultural economists cite surprisingly moderate planting intentions as being a driver of the huge move up in prices since the beginning of April. Interesting. So what's the view on the metals front? Okay, coming back to um, the metal space, companies and investors are still reluctant to expand mining despite the surge in prices, making the types of long-term bets that would bring on more supply. This, of course, has the effect of making futures markets tighter, pushing up prices, all else being equal. And we can see that in the tin price today, copper price today, and to some extent, the other metallic uh, minerals. Amid ongoing talk of a commodities super cycle, a host of miners are reporting first quarter production numbers, and many continue to have problems ramping up supply across their commodity portfolios to meet demand which is rebounding from last year's coronavirus induced slump. To give an example, BHP said it expects annual iron ore production to come in at the upper end of its 245 to 255 million tonne forecast range, but output would barely increase year over year. BHP's copper quarterly output fell by 9% year on year to 391,000 tonnes in Q1, although the company is still expecting a year-over-year gain. Another example would be from uh, Chile, where the mines there, uh, which you know work in the world's biggest uh, producing uh, country, they account for nearly one-third of global mine supply. But production fell 3.2% in the first quarter, to around 1.8 million tonnes. State-owned copper company Cordelco 
they saw a 14.4% fall in production to 500,000 tonnes. So why are the mining companies being so slow to respond? Good question. After peaking in 2011, metal prices have been in a long, inexorable decline for the following decade. Excess supplies brought online late in the last super cycle became surplus to the overinflated expectations near the peak. Remember, copper traded at $10,190 per tonne in early 2011. What we can say is that both demand and supply for metals are inelastic in the short term. Essentially, this means that it can take quite a long time for consumers and producers to react to pricing signals. If metal prices rise, there is a significant delay until production begins to respond. Critically, it takes time for expectations to adapt and even longer for supply to respond to higher metal prices. Given that the typical time horizon of a major mine can be 20 to 30 years, with high initial capital outlay and traditionally slow capital return, the planning process is very risk averse. However, once the economic status warrants a mine being brought into production, then it typically takes approximately seven to 10 years to take the discovery of a new deposit through to production, although lead times can vary greatly between metals. As before, structural underinvestment coupled with rapidly rising demand will provide the foundations. Right. And so is history also playing a role here? I think it is. I mean, the remarkable speed, length and strength of the 2000s super cycle took most industry players by surprise. Miners, boards, analysts, investors and the bankers uh, alike were not prepared when demand for metals took off early uh, this century and then peaking in 2000. 2011. The situation was accentuated by a dearth of new supply to meet demand after a long period of underinvestment stretching back to the late 1990s. Adding to this already potent mix, metals emerged as an alternative investment vehicle, exacerbating the cycle's volatility. Large institutional investors began pouring money into commodities through indices, medium-term notes, and exchange-traded funds. Right, and after all that, wasn't there a supply-side hangover once that super cycle had ended? That's right. According to Ivan Glassenberg of Glencore, the big guys really screwed up, he said. Uh, and this was in reference to the industry building too many mines way back in 2013. Glassenberg is now calling on a new generation of mining CEOs to learn from their predecessors and stop building so many new mines just because they can. He went on to say that mining companies... Uh, and I quote, uh, quote his exact words, always have been wanting to keep building and keep putting the cash which we generate into new assets. That's what we've got to stop doing as a mining industry. We've got to learn about demand and supply. I hope CEOs have learned their lesson. They built, they didn't get the returns for their shareholders. It's time to stop building, end of quote. So therefore, prices are high on many goods today because of past choices that reduce supply. Is history repeating itself? But it's clear that these choices are still being made right now, whether it's reluctance to invest in new mining capacity or farmers remaining conservative in their planting decisions. So what goes around comes around. 
An element one must bear in mind when analyzing the supply of a given commodity is existing inventories. It's easy for people to focus on production levels and neglect this very important factor. Whilst they may play a diminished role in agricultural commodities, existing inventories are crucial in assessing the supply situation for energy and metals. One must also consider that many commodities, like gasoline, are products that derive from other commodities. It is often the case that whilst there are ample supplies of oil in the world, there is not enough of it being refined into gasoline, which can happen due to weather events or other hiccups in the supply chain. So, when prices at the pump start to rise, it may not always be because of what's happening in the oil market. I want to thank Robin for joining me today, and I also want to thank you for joining us. Please be sure to subscribe to The Forward Curve on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Christian Clavidetcher, and on behalf of the Gold Street Advisors team, I thank you for listening. And remember, always keep an eye and ear on the forward curve.